Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You know, the golf clearance outlet, it is pumping. It is flying. And its membership club is going nuts. That's how good they're going at the Golf Clearance Outlet. What's the membership pop called? It's called GCO Live. It costs 19 bucks a year. That is it. $19 a year. That's incredible. And here's what you get. Weekly golf giveaways, monthly draws for bucket list experiences, access to special deals and sales, and automatic entry into all their comps. Hey, not long ago, they gave away a playing spot in the Live Pro-Am. And Sam... He actually played with DJ. And this month, they're giving away a trip for two to Mission Hills Golf Club. Flights and accommodation all included. 19 bucks a year. What an offer. Join GCO Live now at golfclearanceoutlet.com.au. It's week 26 of the golfing calendar. And today, Nick O'Hearn is live from Cathedral in regional Victoria. He's living the life. And Mark Allen? Well, he's live at Australian Golf Headquarters, home of the PGA of Australia and Golf Australia. This is Australia's leading golf podcast, Talk Birdie to Me. Righto. So I'm at uh, Golf Headquarters here at Sandringham. Nick O'Hearn's at Cathedral this week, which is uh, always uh, seems like a lovely place to be up there, just holidaying away. Hey, I'm near Cathedral. I'm not at Cathedral. Oh, you know what I mean. It's close enough. Can, we, <laughs> can I just say this about, uh, I, I want to talk about both winners this week. So Yin, amazing, another Chinese major winner, which is great. Keegan Bradley, he's an unusual character. I, I mean, he could be the nicest bloke in the whole world, for all I know. But he's one of those golfers, Nick, where there is nothing he wears, there is nothing he does with a golf club, there is nothing that uh, wants me to go out and buy Cleveland gear or Strixon golf balls. or There is nothing about this guy, apart from his record in America, that makes me want to do anything about Keegan Bradley. Now, that doesn't happen very often. And like I said, you, you, you've probably met him. You've probably played with him. But it's not like he's Semi Bellasteros, you know, to where if he was using Slazenger <laughs> golf clubs, I'd go out and I'd want to try and use Slazenger golf clubs because he was using them. He, he's an unusual character, but my God, he wins. Yeah, he's he's been playing some great golf this season. I mean, uh, he, he won the 2011 PGA Championship, so he is a major winner. Using an anchor putter. And he's putter. had some excellent results this season but yeah and and he's done it with the um with the putter where he used to go belly uh but now obviously not allowed to do the belly so he had to reinvent himself a little bit there he's one of the best ball strikers around but you're spot on he is very very hard to watch because of all the little mannerisms and ticks that he has Mm. i i I just got to look away and it's uh it's not the easiest thing to watch it's a bit like watching patrick cantlay play in a way because 
it, you know, when you have those two guys at the top of the leaderboard, it's it's pretty uninspiring, to be honest. So I'm right there with you, Mark. It's it's a t- he's a tough guy to watch, but he's probably going to be playing Ryder Cup, and he's going to be up there in many many tournaments to come. So uh, we're going to have to keep on watching. I don't like his golf shoes. I don't like his golf pants. I don't like his golf shirt. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like his golf hat. There, there, there's, I don't like his pre-shot routine. <laughs> like I said, I'd love to get him on the program and have a chat to him because I guarantee he's probably the nicest bloke in the whole world. He looked like a wonderful family man. He's doing it in, you know, in his hometown in front of his family for the first time. But there's just, I have nothing. I have no love <laughs> for anything that he does on a golf course. He's really hurt you, hasn't he? Something. No, he hasn't hurt me. I just, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's his pre-shot routine that is just, you know, the twirling of the club on the ground. I've never seen anyone do that apart from, you know, a 10-year-old. I don't know what else to say, Nick. Yeah, well, he, he's not David Ogren in disguise, is he? I mean, you <laughs> caught him a mongrel the other week. <laughs> uh, but Ke- Keegan's a, he, he's one of those characters that just does things his own way. He, yeah. he used to spit a lot on the golf course. Yes. I don't think he does that as much anymore. Um, which is one of those you know habits which I don't think many people certainly like. What I do like about him though is he can shoot 23 under par on the mm. par 70 golf course. 257 strokes he took around TPC Hartford, so that's setting a record. He beat Kenny Perry's old record of 22 under, and some of the comments Rory McIlroy made afterwards were mm. were quite interesting. Uh, you know, talking about technology has sort of gone past this golf course. I mean, I've played. TPC Hartford many times, played the, the tournament. And I, I actually quite enjoyed the course because I played quite well there um, over, uh, I don't know how many years. I probably played six or seven times. I actually finished third there once, which was it was a good story. Uh, Hunter Mahan won that year in a playoff from Jay Williamson. This was back in 2007, I think. And uh, I finished third solo, so that was a nice check. I was very happy with that. Nothing like what they get these days. Trust me, these designated events, it's out of control. But uh, uh, Faldo was commentating along with Jim Nance and Hunter Mahan ended up having a putt from about a foot and a half for the win in the playoff after, uh, after I think, Jay Williamson made bogey or something like that. And dead silence. And then all of a sudden, Faldo says, well, Hunter has 18 inches. And then he said, "For the win." <laughs> but there was that pause, yes. and you could hear, you could hear uh, Jim Nance in the background, kind of just almost muffling his uh, his laugh. And it was, my gosh, it was comical. So, uh, but the golf course is is a great spectators' course. It has a wonderful back nine, I think, where there's so many opportunities to make a run. I think holes thirteen through seventeen are, are probably the most fun holes on the golf course. Thirteen's a par five where there's water all the way up the right. Out of bounds left, there's a railway train, which luckily I've never hit it over there, but I've seen many people <laughs> hit it in there. Uh, Keegan, you know, bailed right, knocked it in the water and, and made bogey. But at this stage, he had about a six-shot lead, and he, he made a few bogeys coming in. But um, there's, he can, provides a lot of drama, those holes. And I think Adam Scotty earlier in the week, what did he shoot? 62 in, in the first round, and he was on a 59 watch for a little while, and he ended up making, I think, a double on 16 or 17, 17. I think, the par four where he hit it in the water. Yeah. So uh, anything can happen coming down that stretch, and it's, it has provided a lot of great finishes over the years. I was going to ask you about TPC courses. The, the only TPC course that I've played is TPC Sawgrass, where they play the Players' Championship every year. Yeah. But the, the, the PGA Tour have done you know, something kind of special over in, in the United States to where they've got this suite 
of TPC golf courses. Now, I was going to ask you, because I imagine that you've played quite a few of them. Are, are they all built as stadium courses like this one was to where, you know, you, you don't actually need to bring in the, uh, the, 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 the grandstands and put them on 17 and 18. It, it, it just seems like people can just get to these golf courses and, and, and watch brilliant golf in the, and the feedback on the golf course this week, I mean, I know everyone was birding everything, but the feedback it always seems to be the same as yours, that it's it's a fun place to play golf. Yeah, that's that's the reason I think a lot of these courses are, well, not built, but overtaken by sometimes by the uh, by the uh, you know, headquarters there at PGA Tour where they want these courses, which is uh, very, very fan-friendly, spectator-friendly, so that they can watch these good finishes. And and this one certainly has that amphitheater feel as you're coming, I think it's 15, 16, 17, the par four, par three, par four. And it's just a great little spot where you can watch a lot of drama. There's water, there's people making eagles, there's people making double bogeys. 18's a bit of a so-so hole in that regard, I think, here at TPC Hartford. Because the players are just hitting the ball so far now, it just seems like a driver and a lob wedge the whole way around. And, you know, just going back to what I was talking about with Rory, some of the comments he was saying was, I don't particularly like when a tournament is like this. Unfortunately, technology has passed this course by. It's sort of made it obsolete, especially as soft as it has been with a little bit of rain that we had. You know, he's basically saying the course is, is too short for the modern technology these days. And we've spoken about this in the past with the rolling back the ball and maybe reducing the size of the driver head. But uh, when these guys, you know, you shoot 15 under par, I think you're going to finish probably about 20th this week. Mm. So in a little bit of a way, it was like a corn ferry tour event in that regard because that happens week in, week out on that secondary tour. And that's because the guys hit the ball so far and they're destroying these golf courses. Well, you're right about that short hole, the 15th. Uh, Adam Scott hit a five-wood past the flag uh, on, in in the third round. No wind and, and gets his little five-wood out and just goes wooshka. Um, ended up uh, ended up putting it back. I can't even remember where he held the putt or not uh, on the way back. But I thought for sure it must have been a three wood. And Scotty's just you know powered one through the back. But when I saw that, it was just a five wood. But it, it's almost a double edged sword when a golf course is soft and short for these players, because mm-hmm. I don't care what anyone says. Uh, the new modern ball, it's a missile off the tee. It doesn't spin as well as the old balladas used to. Uh, with with the short irons, I, I still don't think so. Anyway, uh, and, and when you can't get the lob wedge or the the sandwich to spin as much on a soft course, that's actually a good thing, because instead of these guys, you know, zipping it back thirty feet, you know, where it's uncontrollable at some stages, uh, it, it just didn't seem to happen. I mean, they're, they're hitting the ball three hundred and fifty yards. I mean, I saw some of the the average drives that Keegan Bradley was hitting this week, and it didn't strike me as a power hitter. But, you know, 350 is an awful long way. And then he'd be flicking these sandwiches in, full ones, and they wouldn't really fizz for him. You know, they'd only come back a little bit. Yet those greens are as soft as, you know, greens you'd ever see these days. So I think what Rory is saying is absolutely right. On a soft course and Mm -hmm. a short course, the sky's the limit for what is possible as far as low shooting when we're talking about that sort of stuff. In a weird way, the guys who finished second, Zach Blair and Brian Harmon, are not long hitters. So, yeah. you know, the, the technology has helped them so much that they're still getting it out there, probably 290-ish, I would say, 290 yards. And and on a 6,800-yard golf course like TPC Hartford is, they're just going to eat it up and just start firing at flags all day long. So it's... Uh, yeah, it's 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 a tricky one, and and yeah, some people say, well, should they grow the rough up to make it harder, plant more trees? Well, that really, I don't think, is the answer for for sure. I mean, we all know that that's probably 
not the right thing to do. I think uh, a lot of the comments were, let's make it wider and provide more angles and firmer golf courses. But when it rains, it is very tough to do it in that regard. But um, uh, another player, you know, who really impressed me this week, again, just ball striking-wise, Scotty Scheffler. He, again, he just keeps racking up these top fives. What was he, top four? And yep. he's uh, he's putting on a show. And if that guy ever gets his putter going, just look out. It will be crazy how much he will win. And he's had two wins, no majors. And he's having a ball-striking season that is going down as one of the most record-breaking in history. So if he doesn't win a major, if he doesn't win the British Open, hmm. you're not sure if it's a you know a season that's a bit of a letdown for him. Uh, t- tell us about uh, Zach Blair. The reason I want to ask you about Zach Blair is because he's got a uh, medical exemption. He's got seven starts. He had to finish uh, tied second for it uh, to, to, to basically he's got his card back. But it's a wonderful thing that the PGA Tour does, doesn't it? And not not everyone who gets a medical exemption actually gets the points required to go ahead and keep their card. And they usually have to go all the way back to, or basically the start. And I think uh, the, the start these days would probably be the fall series of events. You wouldn't have to go all the way back to the tour school to get back on the Corn Ferry Tour. But he's done that in one go. First, tour, first tournament back, tied second. I reckon it's one of the best efforts I've seen this year. It is impressive. I'm wondering how he got to start in a designated event. That was the the interesting part because you've got, what are they, eight or ten events, these designated events this season, which are worth $20 million. And if you have a good week there, you're basically getting your card back, which is an incredible effort and credit to him for, for getting that start and, and getting in there. He had, a, I think it was a torn labrum in his shoulder and he'd been out for quite a long time. And and, my, and these medical exemptions are not easy to come back from. I actually had to do it in my career once I um, when I had my knee reconstructed. And fortunately, I was able to die. They gave me about 12 starts to make a certain amount of money. And, you know, I was probably halfway there when I started those 12 events and managed to do it. So that was great. But you feel a lot more pressure coming back when you have a lot of time off because uh, the world pass seems to pass you by. That's for sure in that regard. Uh, and Minwoo Lee, uh, again, another outstanding week. Uh, but what I'm really enjoying about Minwoo Lee is that he's getting the AirPods. He got the AirPods on round three. And he did a great job. Oh, he did. I yeah. didn't see that. Yeah, he got the AirPods in round three. And that, to me, is another little step forward. We know the, the new Netflix series is coming out. And Minwoo gets uh, an episode where they basically follow Minwoo around. So he, he's now wow. he, he's now kind of jumping into, we think you're going to be a star kid territory. One, he's hitting the ball a kabillion miles. I mean, uh, again, I saw a little bit more of the third round than I did the last. And on the 18th tee, his ball speed was 190 miles per hour. It's the highest ball speed of oh. the day. So one, he's just blasting it off the tee. Uh, two, he's hitting a lot of greens. Three, he's putting well and finishing strongly. He's creeping towards the top 20 in the whole world. But the Americans are starting to love him and say, hey, Minwoo, can you put the earpods on for us? We want to talk to you. So I just think it's just really exciting for Australian golf that this is happening. Yeah, that's an incredible uh, ask or or get in that regard. You can probably thank your agent for that one for sure. And the more airtime you get over there, the better for your brand and all that sort of thing. But obviously it helps with him having his sister, Minji Lee, I think uh, being so good on the LPGA Tour. So it is a great story. And who would have thought a brother and sister from Western Australia would be you know, basically almost dominating the coverage uh, on, on both tours over there for sure. But another good result, as you said, uh, Mark, another top 10 following is on from his top five at the PGA Championship. So 
What did he ended up finishing? Tied ninth, shot a final round 67 at 17 under par. I mean, 17 under par wins most golf tournaments, but this time, no, you're going to be six shots behind. <laughs> hey, yeah. I'm really keen to talk about Lim and Bolter's role and, uh, you know, another Chinese uh, player wins a major, which is enormous for the for the game of golf. But just my last thing on Keegan Bradley, and I know I've just been baking him a little bit. Okay, uh, a little but bit. Th- this is my last thing. <laughs> the last thing I want to say is that Keegan pretty much – uh, was the reason that uh, the the putter was banned, the, the anchored putter. Once once he won that major, that was pretty much it, and it was on a downward spiral from that point forward. But he started another little trend here. He's been using that jailbreak putter for a long time, and last week the two guys who are really in contention for that uh, US Open, Ricky Fowler uh, and uh, Wyndham, uh, Wyndham Clark. Wyndham Clark. They've both got that putter. I, mm. I know I've kind of been slagging him off just a little bit, but without oh. really knowing him. Dan, stop laughing. That's not a little <laughs> bit. You you have lined him up massively. <laughs> well, it's just a personal opinion. But he's got this putter exactly started what what uh, those two, Ricky Fowler and, and Wyndham Clark, it's it's a little bit longer. It's a, it's a jailbreak look. It could be a little bit what Jason Day did with his spider putter. When Jason Day got to number one in the world, everybody started using the spider putter. A lot of players did. And I reckon when JT was playing well with that, um, the Phantom 5.5, I reckon a lot of players were, were, you know, were jumping to try and get a, a 5.5. I know I did. I, the only reason I got one was because I liked the look of it in JT's hands. But do you think Keegan Bradley can start this new phenomenon that we're seeing on the tour where we're going to see more players with longer jailbreak putters. Will it happen? Well, if people keep winning tournaments and putting very well, it probably will. It's a counterbalance putter, isn't it, I think? Um, the other player who did something very similar was Webb Simpson when he won the US Open right. with that belly putter. And then Keegan did, obviously, and then, and then we saw it in some of the younger players coming through. So the USGA has gone, okay, we need to probably stop this. Look, I've been a ping guy all my life, and if you can't putt well with a ping answer, well, then there's something wrong in that regard because ping. it's basically set the tone for everything. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mark, before we move on, I know you want to get to the PGA Championship on the women's side, but just the uh, Aussies uh, that were in the field, Lucas Herbert, very good result for him, tied 15th, got shot a final round 68. Adam Scott, Tied 19th. He started so well with that 62, 8 under in the first round. Wasn't even leading. What was he, two shots behind yep. after day one? Someone yep. shot a 60. McCarthy, Incredible. I think. Incredible. Yep. Um, Cam Davis had a very good final round, 63 on the Sunday. So that'll give him some good vibes going into next week. But he was tied 33rd. And Jason Day tied 45th. So he shot 9 under and finished tied 45th. That means it's a low-scoring mm. week. Right, let's talk about Bolter's role. A new Chinese winner who has won another major for China, which is which is great for the game globally. Um, I know. I, I think you get to start your own top five and talk about women's best wins <laughs> because I know you've been sitting. I, I've probably missed her in my top five because the more I saw her swing, the more I'm thinking, my God, who am I going to push out of my top five best ever women's swings? Because she deserves to be there. I tell you, when I saw her, uh, well, I saw her a while ago at the LA Open, which she won earlier in the year. She, this is she's only twenty years old. It's her second season for the young Chinese girl. Um, and when I saw her swing a while back, I thought, wow, that looks pretty impressive. But I, you know, we see so many good swings around. And then you started talking about Ro Zhang the other week, mm. and that's when we did the top five women's golf swings. And when I saw her this morning, 
or uh, sorry, in the, in the final round, I've I've thought, wow, okay, this girl's maybe we've got a new uh, contender in Mark's top five women's Definitely. swings because the the effortless speed to the golf swing is what really impressed me. How the the transition from the ground up and the, she's got this beautiful. She maintains the angle. She takes a fantastic divot through the ball, which is always a great thing to observe and. Uh, and is one of the best ball strikers in the game. They were talking on the coverage. She hit the final 37 greens in regulation. Wow. Basically over the weekend, she did not miss a green in regulation. And going into the Sunday, the final round, she was three shots behind uh, Leona Maguire, who won the previous week. So she's trying to go back to back and win her first major. But uh, her goal was not to have a three putt on the Sunday because you think, well, if you hit the ball that well, don't have any three putts, you're probably going to shoot a pretty good mm. score somewhere in the mid-60s. Mid and 67 hits later, she takes out her first major. It was so impressive. I've been reading up on her today, and she's had a sore wrist for a long, long time. And instead of getting it operated on, instead of you know doing hours and hours of therapy and, and, and physio and everything else, you know what she did? She just stops hitting so many practice balls. As simple as that. <laughs> and, and the wrist came good. And you know what? You're going you're gonna to laugh. You're going to laugh at the next one. Because it makes so much sense. Do you know what she started doing? What she started working on when she stopped? Let me guess. She started working on a short game. <laughs> yes, she did. So, so she's she's not only she fixed her wrist, but she's got a head right for the practice, and she started practicing her putting a hell of a lot more than she was her hitting. And miraculously, the hitting has stayed in touch. What could go wrong when you look at that swing? Yeah. But two. We've spoken about this before. When your short game is rock solid, what that does for you tee to green, when you stand on the first tee of a tournament and you know you are sharp, sharp as sharp with the short game, you, you don't fear missing on the short side as much. You don't fear hitting a, a thin shot or a fat shot. or You, you don't fear these things because you know getting up and down will be so simple. And this is it's just a great lesson, I think, for so many, for so many players. Have you ever... Have you ever got to a point, I know you've had a sore wrist lately, but was there ever a point in your career, Nick, where you couldn't hit as many balls and magically you had a nice little run of form? Well, th there was never a point where I couldn't hit as many balls, but what I found and figured out over the years was, to give an example, if I had a three-hour practice session, I would only spend one hour working on my full swing out of those three hours. The other two hours, guess what? I'm working on my wedges, my chipping, my bunkers and my putting. And I knew my golf swing would, it's not going to change too much as you go along. You, you fine tune it here and there. But for our listener out there, if you add up your last round of golf, whatever score you shot, say you shot um, 90, for example, on your last round of 18 holes, I'll guarantee you close to 60 of those mm. will be with a wedge, your bunker play, your chipping and your putting, 50 to 60, I guarantee. So that kind of tells you, okay, how many hits do you have and how much practice time should you allocate to those areas of your game? Yes, the driver is important. Your irons are important, but your short game and your putting, that's where you make a score in this game. That's for sure. And uh, obviously it worked for her. Another friend of mine, I probably told this story a while back, Charles Howell III, who's now playing on the live tour, one of the best ball strikers around. I remember he had, he couldn't hit balls for quite a while because I lived on the same Golf estate, Isleworth in the U.S. and because uh, he pulled something in his, um, I think in his in his uh, in his stomach muscle or something like that, so he had to practice his chipping and putting until he came back. First tournament back, he almost wins. He loses in a playoff. So it just goes to show that 
that's where you win golf mm. tournaments, that's for sure. And um, the other part about uh, Ruining Ying, which I found quite fascinating, was her caddy. This is only their second week together, and it was his first time working in a major. Yeah, so this incredible. caddy has gone one for one in major championships. How impressive is that? <laughs> Actually, uh, he looked a little bit out of place, to tell you the truth. I saw him. He looked like he was a beach bum <laughs> to me. He had the long hair. <laughs> yeah, he's caddied on the Corn Ferry Tour for a long time, apparently. But um, first time in the major. And, and the other caddy um, who's, well, the other player that's picked up a very experienced caddy was Rose Zhang. Uh, she's now got Jason Gilroyd on her bag, who for the last five years had been catting for Minji Lee. So uh, I know Ooh. I was talking about how good, you know, Rose Zhang was the other week and you sort of said where she come from, but she almost won this tournament as well. Came within a stroke of the lead on the back nine a couple of times, finished tight eighth. And I tell you what, they are giving her a lot of coverage on the broadcast. So they have some big wraps on this young player. So exciting to see how she goes. Well, I've got a couple of things to tell you. My masterclass is going to be how to hit the ball a little bit longer when you need to. On the back of Yin and the back of Bradley, I'm going to just give you a little insight into how to do it sensibly. We don't want anyone going full lunatic. Hello, Paul Gow. Um, and the other thing is, <laughs> mate, we've just finished up this nine. So I'm going to catch you on the 10th take. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Well, Mark, I've been with Pink for years, and they're an unbelievable company. They've helped me play my best, and they can do it for you too. All right, so what's so good about this new wedge you've been mucking around with? Because that's all I've been hearing about, mm. these new wedges that are on the way. It's the Ping S159 wedge range. They're unbelievable. And there's a heap of different options too. Whether you're a player who prefers a versatile wedge, you like to have a steep angle mm. of attack into the ball, or perhaps you prefer a wedge that plays with low bounce. I know you like your bounce, Mark. Mm. So the Ping S159 range has a wedge for any kind of player? Spot on. And I'm not saying you're going to beat Tiger with the S159 wedges from Ping, but they're certainly going to help you play your best. So just book in with your local golf shop or professional to arrange a Ping club fitting. Never misses a chance to slip in a Tiger match. absolutely. Good on you. Like the podcast? Oh, maybe tell a friend. Drop them a text or share it on your socials. This is Talk Birdie to Me with Nick O'Hearn and Mark Allen. Are we going to play the yeah. crowd yeah, yeah. on the 10th tee? Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> okay, yeah, why, why not? Yeah. All right. That, that's just for you, Nick. I, I found some people who are very impressed uh, with uh, your last masterclass, which has been just fantastic. Okay, <laughs> we've got that much feedback. We've got some feedback coming up very, very soon. Dan's going to be reading that out. But can I just say to our listeners out there, we're about to just get the results for the Aussies at the WA, at the at the PGA Championship for the women. But if you've had a result that you'd like to talk about, you know, maybe someone's broken 80 for the first time in your family, or you've got a youngster coming through who's won a little tournament or a junior champion, 
get in touch with our socials and we'd love to read it out and, 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 and be on that journey with you guys. So um, find us on the socials, uh, give us a good idea of what uh, sort of some results that you're really proud of and, and we'll, uh, we'll have a chat about it next week. Now, Nick, tell us about the girls, uh, some our Aussie girls at the WPGA Championship. Yes, uh, at Bolter's Roll, we had Grace Kim still just playing some fantastic golf, mm. shot 69-69 over the weekend, finished 14th to pick up almost almost 150000 US dollars. Thank you very much. Jeez, that seems to actually a number 17 on the standings for the uh, LPGA Tour. That's very wow. impressive. Well, I'm going to guess the mate. I reckon she's uh, won six or seven hundred thousand this year. Yeah, she had the win earlier in the year, so that would have been at least um, probably a couple of hundred for that one, I would imagine. So yeah, I think she's uh, racking it up very yeah, quickly. Good on her. Minji Lee, solid week for her. Tied twentieth. Uh, promised so much after a nice sixty-seven on Friday, but sort of fell away Saturday. Another outstanding uh, uh, result was for Gabby Ruspels, who plays the Epsom Tour. Mm. Got an invitation. And that invitation was well warranted. Finished tied for 24th. So she picked up $86,000. And I looked earlier as to how much she'd made on the Epson Tour after two wins. Yeah. It was 96000 So she almost <laughs> won as much as she had on the Epson Tour for finishing tied for 24th in this major. So the prize money for this event was $10 million US, which is the biggest mm. in women's golf. So fantastic there. A couple of others who made the cut, Steph Kiriakou and Hannah Green, they both finished uh, 61st and 68th respectively. So, But a nice solid week for the Aussies, five making the cut. Uh, on the Champions Tour, Rod Pampling and Richard Green finished tied for 12th, where Padraig Harrington, seven under for his last seven holes, shot a back nine 28 to win the Dick Sporting Goods Open, which he won last year. He won by a shot from Joe Durant. So how's that? Seven under the last seven holes. That's incredible golf. That's a, that's a bit like Peter O'Malley, seven under the last five. A couple of eagles and the rest were birdies yes. uh, at the Scottish Open a million years ago. G'day, Pom. Mm. He listens every week, Pom. Uh, and also, just a little shout-out. This is more of a soft spot for me. Uh, at the Irish Legends, which is um, you know the European Seniors Tour, uh, a good mate of mine, way back in the day, Peter Baker, who's English, he's not Australian, oh, yeah, but he had yeah. a seven-shot win. And the reason I'm shouting Bakes out is because he, like me, is a Wolverhampton Wanderers supporter. We love our uh, <laughs> English Premier League. And Wolves are up there, so I'm giving him a big shout-out. Well done, Bakes. <laughs> I can remember Peter Baker coming out. Um, it, it must have been when he just turned professional. He might have even came out when he was uh, you know, one of the best amateurs in the world. He came out and played the Masters, the Vic Open. He used to come out all the time. And at that stage, I was still catting. Uh, but God, I used to really have a good look at him. He, he was a classy-looking player all those years ago. God, he's, he's older than me. He must be about 60 years old and winning by seven. He's going well, isn't he? He always had the Wolves logo on his golf shoes. So that was always uh, why I remember Bakes. And uh, a lovely guy ran a, a fantastic pro-am there in the middle of England where I used to live. So anyway, I thought I'd throw that one in just because it, it was a great result for him. And uh, lastly, Brendan Jones, good solid week. On the Asian Tour at the Korean Open, finished fourth. Very tough golf course. There's only one player under par. Uh, the winner there was six under. He's about 50 as well. So playing with the kids, mighty effort. Okay, time for some feedback. And Dan's going to just go through just go through the good stuff this yeah. week, please, Dan. Oh, no, no wax? Don't want any wax? <laughs> no, no wax. I was just thinking, you know, when, Nick's <laughs> talk, when Nick, when you talk about living in the middle of England and before you talk about living in, in Florida, right? Is there anywhere you... And you were talking Japanese a couple, yeah. Of, yeah. couple of shows. Yeah. It might be quicker to tell us where you haven't lived. Yeah, it's a bit better. <laughs> I'm a world traveller, you know, so never been to Russia, so there's one place I've never been. Not sure I'd want to go at the moment. I wouldn't advise it. Wouldn't advise it. Okay, so feedback for you guys. A uh, lot of feedback last week, Nick, on your putting class uh, on Rory with the head. Loved. 
Boom76. Love your work, Nick. I see a lot of other players doing the same when I'm at weekly comps. So hang on, Boom76 or was it Boom, he shot 76? No, no, that's the title of the bloke oh, okay. who wrote it. I thought maybe he's got the putting uh, uh, masterclass and went Boom76 no, off well, the stick. Mate, I, look, I don't know. Okay. I wasn't watching him. So right uh, John Martin uh, has written in, isn't it interesting that Nick and all other great instructors never mention a particular brand of putter is necessary. Well, I need to just pump up ping before. Yeah, he did. Uh, just sound mechanics. Save your money and practice the fundamentals. Well, he did for one week, but not this week. Whoever yes. said that in. <laughs> <laughs> so Nick is proving John a liar, I think. Yeah. Uh, uh, also on the same thing, uh, Wayne has said, uh, Wayne Malari has said, I've always wondered about that with Rory. It looks most odd. Good advice from Nick. Mm. And uh, Dazzler, 371. Yep. Another great masterclass. I reckon you've solved a large problem I've got. I have fallen into the Rory way of lining up a putt, and I haven't made a decent length one in ages. It also could be a lack of ability, but I'll give this a go first. Yeah, well, it won't be long before Rory's listening. I mean, you you could end up, you could be end up. We get rid of Brad Faxon. You're going to burn him. You're going to no, burn, no. you're going to burn Fax, and you're going to take over from Rory, <laughs> and you're going to turn him into a major winning machine. No, I, I'm sure Fax knows what he's doing. Don't worry. But and they've probably looked at it and, and thought, no, nah, it's all fine. But uh, I think for most people out there, tilting your head the right way is the key with those putting. Anyway, now this is not well. It's sort of feedback, but it's more questions for you guys. I've got about three mm. or four questions from okay. people, so right. I'll be really keen to hear what you guys say on these. Uh, Jay Bald seventy seven, Jason has written in to say, I have Maverick Cavity back irons and a launcher driver for their game Ooh. improvement and forgiveness aspects. Is there a point in my game where these styles of clubs become redundant and I need to switch to more traditional blades and drivers to get to the next level? Well, I reckon that's a pretty good question. Now, I know those clubs you're talking about and the sweet spot would probably be getting up to the size of a 20-cent piece. So if you are actually... Um, finding that sweet spot all the time and you want to go to a club that just looks better, then you could probably do that. But the next one down will be somewhere in between a 10-cent piece and a 20-cent piece. And then you, you know, you'll end up getting to the blades, which is what, Nick, about a 5-cent piece, the sweet spot, something like that. So it really is what you're comfortable using as far as the sweet spot is concerned. That, 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 that would be me. I mean, sometimes we call them shovels, the big clubs. Sometimes if you've been using the big shovels mm. for a long time, um, they don't look quite as neat and quite as nice as something that is developed for uh, a, a very good player. So it's a bit of a trade-off, but uh, if you're feeling comfortable and you want to maybe use something that looks a little bit nicer, a little bit cleaner to the eye, it might be time to move. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you, Marco, there. I think for the mid to high handicapper, those more forgiving golf clubs are definitely uh, a good option to get you going, get the ball going in the air all the time put the hybrids in the bag we've spoken about that a little bit as well very very useful golf clubs but if you feel like you may as mark said you, you're um, striking the ball out of the center more often than not and then you want to start shaping the ball a bit if at will well that's probably when you're getting into your single figure markers and that sort of thing well then you can look at a more a traditional style but i'd even still have that slight cavity on the back if you go for the full-on blades they are very tough mm -hmm. to use and i don't even use them myself i've still got a bit of a cavity back on the blades that i use with ping see i'm pumping up ping again yeah, but that's um right. You know, uh, but every I think every major company they have these blade-looking golf clubs that have that slightly more forgiving sweet spot. So uh, once you get your handicap down, I'd, I'd look into those for sure. Uh, can I just talk up the clubs that I use, please? Uh, because the, the clubs that I use, the T one hundred S from Titleist. Here we go. I'm telling Titleist. you, Here they we go. are simply the best clubs that I've ever, ever, ever used. Ever used. 
by a mile. And they've got these new ones coming wow. out soon, the T150 that replaces it. And these will, again, be a club that just, you look down at it, you go, wow, I just want to play golf today. But then when you actually feel the club come off the face, the sweet spot is quite big. And I'm going to say it's somewhere in between a 10-cent piece and that 20-cent piece that we were talking about. Don't look at me like this, Dad, like I'm trying to sell. So I'm, trying, I'm giving advice. And, Nick, you're laughing you, as well. A- I'm telling you they come with my highest recommendation for all standard of golf, unless you're like a unless you're Rory, who just you know can hit it out of the no, well, I, Again, I think they they make a wonderful golf club. The tar- I've, I've used Titleist balls my entire career. They are the best ball in the game, and uh, you know worn the Foot Joy shoes as well. But club wise, it's just important to go with whatever looks and feels good to you. Okay, some more questions here. Uh, I, I, I like these questions. They're really good. I think we should get more. If anyone's got one, shoot them right. in. Shoot them in. This one from Everyday Golfer Slow-Mo Swing. Uh, he said, uh, or she, could be a female, if we can repair pitch marks on the green and replace the ball, why can't we repair a divot on the fairway? Well, you, you mentioned this last week, Nick, because some divots are different from other divots. And some have already grown in. Some are almost grown in. When do you call a divot a divot? would be the biggest headache. Mm. So I think the best bet is to go back uh, on the Talk Birdie to Me uh, socials and find the lesson that Nick did about three weeks ago and have a look and learn how to play out of a divot. Because if you can learn how to play out of a divot, it'll give you such an advantage on your friends and they'll be jealous and really angry when you could hit nice shots out of divots. (laughs) It's funny, I see the game in almost these two games you're being played. One that on the green, so you're playing on the ground, and then one off the green where the ball goes through the air more often than not. So depending on what sort of a player you are, obviously. But uh, uh, So I think greens is almost a separate part of the game of golf. So tick. you should be able to do whatever you like there. The rest of it, play it as it lies. Tick, tick, tick. If you want to see all the masterclasses, by the way, go to the YouTube channel. That's the easiest way to go. They're all there on YouTube. Hang on a second. Have we got a YouTube channel? You've set it up. We I didn't even know. We have a YouTube channel. Well, please wow. tell people what it, where it is. Well, it's Talk Birdie to me on YouTube. I mean, are you kidding me? What? What? <laughs> uh, all the masterclasses are there. So you can go and see. <laughs> oh, that's it. fantastic. Uh, last question here. Uh, this is from Peter Klein. PK enjoying life. Are most tournament courses? Ex- He's got two questions. Actually, yeah, this is the okay. first one. Are most tournament courses, excluding the majors or where the rough is silly, easier for amateurs to play? as all playing surfaces are perfect and you nearly always get a great lie in a bunker. Interesting. Now, uh, it, it's amazing, Nick. You, you, you'd play in a pro-am in some tournaments that were rip-roaring and set to play and the greens that they thought they might have been on as far as firmness, we thought they were soft and yet the amateurs thought they were rock hard. And then when Thursday mm. came and the amateurs weren't there anymore, the greens would be even harder and the amateurs would have no control over their golf ball whatsoever on Thursday and Friday. But on the TV, it would look like the pros do have some control. So even though the greens are perfect, and even though the fairways you know, look like no one's played the golf course for a few weeks, because of the firmness of the greens, which is unusual for most amateurs, I think they'd find it pretty difficult, even on just your standard Australian golf tournament. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think so for sure. And they used to do that at Augusta National every year too. The Monday through Wednesday before you played the tournament, you thought, oh, this is, you know, this isn't too bad. We can get used to this. And then all of a sudden Thursday, they sucked the moisture right out of the place and it just became a different golf course. But the other thing that you need to think about is the way they set golf courses up from tee to green with pin positions and where they set the tees and things like that. They set these golf courses up as tough as they possibly can. So it's like setting it, setting it up for a club championship, I would imagine, for most people at their home club. And think of the most difficult pin positions and the most difficult the course will play. That's what the pros play week in, week out, which which is a scary thing to think that, okay, they're actually even better than we think they are, which at the top level, they, they really are. They really are. I love it how you guys say they're even better than we think they are when you guys were that yourselves. Yeah, it's a different game again as far as <laughs> well, we used to be. We used to be there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> the second part of Peter's question was this one. This is a fun one. If you could only do one trip, would it be King Island or Barn Boogle? Uh, I'd go to Barn Boogle. That's just personal. I've been to both. Barn Boogle, I think uh, it's, it's a little bit better when you finish playing. Yeah, the setup there is is great. I believe the setup for King Island is about to get started, so that could be different. But right now, I'd go to Barn Boogle if you had to have a if you had to pick one. What about you, Nick? Well, I I can't answer that because I haven't been to either. So I'd be happy oh. to go to either. You haven't been to Barn Boogle or King Island. I find that unbelievable. What are you doing? Well, I've only been back in Australia a few years, and you know, about eighteen months of that was in lockdown here in Melbourne. So, okay, I think we're going uh, to have to put out a call. There, but I've, I've got to make a trip. We're going to have to put out a call. We're going to go down, do the show from down there. Let me let me make a okay, few phone like calls. It. We might have to take some people. <laughs> in fact, we might even be able to make some coin out of this so <laughs> if we do it properly. <laughs> we take thirty people down, we'll be right. Leave it with me. All we right, need that... to get you to play these courses. Okay. Nick. Uh, it is time for Nick's Top 5. <laughs> really? That's what is best, that? That's oh, the my best goodness. Could, yeah, folks, <laughs> listener. Um, Budget Dan, cuts. Budget Dan, cuts. Dan, who helps us here, has found the buttons for the sound effects. And he's <laughs> like a five-year-old pushing these stupid buttons. Well, it is fun. All right. Nick, what's your Top Give 5 this candy way? store. Okay. Top 5. So... The Women's PGA Championship was on a great golf course, Bolter's Roll. In a couple of weeks' time, they're going to be playing Pebble Beach. So this my top five is on golf courses I would love to see the women play on at some stage, whether it be a major or or just a, an event in general that we don't necessarily see them play. Now, I'm sort of staying in the U.S. here because uh, obviously that's where we watch a lot of the mm-hmm. tournaments. They do play the historical courses in the U.K., like St. Andrews, Sunningdale, Murfield. They played that uh, recently, which was a big one for them as well. uh, So I'm going to stay in the US. They did play Carnoustie, yes, exactly. So number five, it's an event which you have to, if you ever are in that area, in the Phoenix area, you have to go and see because it's just something quite bizarre and fascinating, and that's the tournament at TPC Scottsdale. I'd love to see the women play there, the stadium hole. That finish of uh, 15, the par 5, with the Island Green, 16 is the par 3, where they all go nuts, and then 17, a wonderful short par 4. But that's a great course, I think, for them to play. That's my number 5. Number 4, Shinnecock. Would love them to see them play uh, the US Open there. I don't think they have played there, have they? I can't uh, recall them ever playing Shinnecock. No way. That was in your top 5 US Open courses, Mark. I know that, but that would be an absolute beauty. Um, Number 3. Jack's Place, Murfield Village. Good idea. Wouldn't it be fun for them to 
have a, a, a women's memorial. I think that would be a great spot for tournament That's, that's there right. Even if you don't love the golf, you get into the clubhouse and they make the best milkshakes in the US, I reckon. I, Some I, of the I was going to ask, do you think the line course. would be as long for the milkshakes in the women's event that it is for the men's? <laughs> I don't think so. It probably wouldn't be, no. No, no, no I, don't I don't think it would be. I don't be. think so. Number two, uh, would love to see a Women's Players Championship at Sawgrass, TPC Sawgrass. I think that would be oh, an yeah. incredible event. Oh, yeah. The girls on 17. Coming down that stretch. Sensational. And the drive, the drive on 18 is, is a killer for lefties the and uh, a little bit easier for the righties. <laughs> Indeed. And my number one for courses I'd love to see, <laughs> this is probably an obvious choice, but we're never, we, you know, I would love to see them get rid of one of the women's majors, preferably the Evian. And sorry to Evian, but uh, you know that that one really doesn't rank as a major in my book and many people's books because even some of the top players don't don't go to play it. But um, they need in a Masters yeah. at Augusta National. That'd be something special. Uh, I agree they with you. They have the women's amateur, obviously, but to have the pros there to have their own Masters tournament, majors should be PGA's Opens and Masters, shouldn't they? So let's go with that. Fantastic. Uh, it's time to get to. The Masterclass, brought to you by Evian. <laughs> oh, come on. That was funny. Don't give me the crickets, Dan. Oh, please. Oh, that was very good. We might be facing defamation from both Evian and Keegan Bradley on the show. <laughs> You're probably right, actually. If Keegan Bradley gets in touch with us on Facebook, um, <laughs> we, might, we might actually have a few issues. Now, our, our winner at the, uh, the the women's PGA, Lynn, and, and also Bradley at uh, the men's, what I did notice this week, and I looked back, they, they ripped up the par fives. And, and one of the things you've got to do on the par fives to rip them up consistently is actually get the ball off the tee with just a little bit extra force, particularly on tournament golf courses. But what I saw them both do, it was subtle, but in the same way, it was absolutely beautiful. Now, Nick, you've seen this a thousand times when somebody who doesn't play much golf, wants to hit something a little bit further, you can almost see them tense up before they've teed it up twice as high as they probably should. And you just know the ball's not going to go anywhere near where this person wants it to go. So I always go back to something that I heard Jack Nicholas say a long time ago. And Jack Nicholas said when he was trying to hit the ball further, what he would do is he would try to have a very deliberate backswing. Now, language is everything in golf, and language is everything in when you're trying mm. to teach people things in golf. And, and I want you to go out and try. If you've never actually tried to make a deliberate backswing, you, you need to do this because, one, for some reason the tension goes out of your arms. I don't know why that is, but it does. Number two, you always finish your backswing when you make a deliberate backswing. Now, those two things are very, very important when you're trying to hit the ball a little bit further because, one, you've got to finish the backswing and you've got to come down into the ball with as little tension as possible. Now, there's going to be a little bit of tension because you're trying to hit it hard, but you want to get rid of some of it. So if you have a deliberate backswing and then you try to pop the ball a bit, so you try to give it a little bit extra force through the hitting area, but then it's got to be a little bit of Rory McIlroy in this as well. So there's a little bit of Jack and there's a little bit of Rory in this masterclass. This is a hybrid. What we want is the deliberate backswing. Then you've got to pop it through impact, but you still got to finish balanced. And if you're doing those sort of things, then you've got half a chance of actually hitting the sweet spot and getting the ball to go a little bit further. And, Nick, trying to get the ball in the vicinity where you planned it to be. 
So there's three things. The mm. deliberate, you've still got to pop it. It's the only way to get the ball a little bit further. But if you can do those two things with a balanced finish, so you've got to stick that landing, then I think you're a, a real chance to start doing that more yeah. often. You don't have to do it all the time. How many times did you try and hit it flat out, Nick, in your career? Percentage-wise, very rarely. Yeah, very yeah. rarely. It had to be a very wide open fairway downhill and downwind where I just wanted to send it. But I love what you said about the deliberate backswing there, because what tends to happen when people try and hit the ball harder is they take a faster, shorter backswing because they try and do it on the backswing rather right. than through the ball. So you're spot on. Anyway, always great to have you. I know you're not a cathedral, but you're up that way. Uh, great to have you, Nick, uh, and speak golf with you every week. I absolutely love it, and can't wait to talk to you next week. I love it. All right. Oh, there it is. That's Nick O'Hearn and Mark Allen's podcast, Talk Birdie to Me. Now, if you haven't subscribed yet, make sure you hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and you'll never miss an episode. And if you can share with a friend, well, that'll be awesome too. Talk Birdie to Me's executive producer is Dan Bradley at Kaizen Media. Sound design, Daryl Misson at loudzebra.com. 